beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, this afternoon it is again about our sins and misery. You may say, don't we hear enough about that? Is that what we come to church for? To hear about our misery? Why not something more joyful? Something more positive? I agree. When we come to church, we need to have the burden of sin and guilt lifted from our shoulders. We need to receive strength for the coming week. For we have to deal with all kinds of difficult situations and difficult people during the week. And we need to be in a positive state of mind to help us cope. Indeed, but is that what this Lord's Day is all about? No. It teaches us that you cannot divorce the knowledge of your misery from your joy. Your joy in the Lord and your joy in life. If you don't know about your own misery, you will never achieve true joy. And what a joy that is. That's what I want to preach to you about this afternoon. It is about the joyful teachings concerning our sins and misery. And then we will see that our sins and misery teach us about, in the first place, difficult people. Second place, our miserable selves. And the third place, a wise God. First then, difficult people. No doubt you agree that this world is full of difficult people. People who are hard to get along with, irritating people, annoying people. Some people really take the cake. They are extremely selfish, rude, and surly, perhaps, and their bad behavior is obvious to everyone. It is easy to get into conflict with them. And no doubt you all have had to deal with someone like that could be a close relative, even your spouse, or one of your children, or an uncle, or somebody you work with. And I'm sure that you young people here in this congregation will have had such experiences as well. Perhaps a friend, or a sibling, or a teacher. You just can't get along with that certain person. No doubt you tried but you didn't get anywhere. How do you handle that? Well, sometimes you can avoid them. But that's not always possible, is it? You cannot avoid a difficult boss or an impossible close relative or classmate or teacher. These people are part of your life. So what do you do? Well, there are lots of people that are willing to give you advice. They will say, why don't you say something to that person? Why don't you tell so-and-so how you feel? And there are other people as well who have the same problem with him or her, and you would be doing them a favor even. You should have a heart-to-heart -heart talk with so-and-so and straighten things out. All you have to do is to just make clear in a reasonable and friendly fashion, fashion in a non-threatening way, that you are really bothered by his behavior. I'm sure 
that that person will listen to you. But then you may say to your friend, or you think to yourself, well, you don't know what that person is like. I've tried. I've tried everything. You don't know how terribly difficult it is to talk to so-and-so and to reason with him. It's impossible to get through his thick skull. He's always been like that, and I know he's not going to change. That's often the sad truth, isn't it? There are some people who refuse to look at themselves and to understand how others see them and how they bother other people. Time and again, you try to talk to that person, but you don't get anywhere. And when you do, you either create a bad scene because you dare to criticize that person, or you get a blank stare that says, I have no idea what you're talking about. Or, and that's even more frustrating, that person will agree with you, but then nothing changes. He or she keeps on doing the same kinds of annoying and selfish things that they have been doing all along. You are convinced that this person has a fatal flaw. He or she is incurably lazy or rude or ill-tempered or unfriendly or slanderous, etc. And you know that no matter what you do or say, that person is not going to change. You always have some hope. You hope that when circumstances change, that then that person will also change his or her behavior. That they will change their attitude and their way of doing things and their way of relating to others. You can also rationalize and think to yourself that this person, troublesome person is so cranky and ill-behaved because, something that has, because of something that has happened in the past or what is happening right now. Perhaps he has a lousy job. Or perhaps he doesn't have a lot of money. Or it's something else that he or she doesn't have that other people do have. And so you try to cater to them and to try to give them what they want. You do that in the hope that when their circumstances change, that then the person is going to change as well. That then he or she is going to be happier and easier to get along with. But again, usually that doesn't happen, does it? Such a person may receive a boatload of money and suddenly have a whole bunch of friends or receive whatever they have been complaining about not having all their lives, but they still don't change. They're still basically the same person that they always were. It makes you feel miserable. You can't connect with that person. He's like a stranger to you. And that's hard to deal with, isn't it? He or she doesn't seem to be able to change. And do you know why that is? Well, that's because of their character. It's baked in. That's who they are. Once you come to such an insight, however, then you have already made a little bit of progress. For once you realize that, then you know that it isn't your fault that that person is the way that he or she is. It's not because of any flaw within you or anything else to do with you that makes the other person behave in the way that they do. The fact of the matter is that we human beings cannot change the character of another person. 
we have no control over that. Uh, you may be wondering by now, what does this have to do with this Lord's Day? Well, now we come to the point of the sermon. It's an important point. Listen carefully. You, when you have come to that insight about other people, then you have just received a glimpse of what it must be like for God. For you see, that is exactly what God has to deal with when it comes to us, to you and me. And that's what the second point is about. It's about our own miserable selves. Think about what God has done. He created a most beautiful and rich world for us to live in. And he made us the crown of his creation. He gave us intelligent minds to be able to rule over his creation. He populated the earth with all kinds of animals and all kinds of different and beautiful vegetation. We could enjoy the bounty of his hands at the utmost. There was no limit to the joy that we could have. And then, after he's done all that, he sees that Adam and Eve, and we in them, decided to spoil it all. We threw a monkey wrench into everything, just like other people do in our own, in our lives when they spoil our aspirations and plans by their crooked lives. All the things that God has given to us for happiness, we turned into things to be jealous about, to fight with, to hoard, to abuse, and to misappropriate. That's us. You, me, no exceptions. And you see, that's what God has to deal with. Well, you may say, for God, that's different than for us. God Almighty, well, he can do anything. God could, if he wanted, change our character. That's true. God could do that. But God, in his infinite wisdom, decided not to deal with man in that way. When God created man, he created him with a free will. He did not want to be served by some pre-programmed machine, like a pre-programmed computer, but a willing and loving creature. But we decided to do otherwise. Not to love him, not to serve him. We decided to be self-serving rather than God-serving. And that is what radically changed our character. It changed our character to such an extent that we are now incapable of doing any good, as the Catechism says. Brothers and sisters, that is the insight that God wants us to have. But we have to come that, to that insight personally. We have to own that about ourselves. You also do that. It takes time. We are not born with such insight. A little child doesn't have that insight. It takes growth in our spiritual development. It usually takes a long time 
for us to get it. But for some people, it takes longer than for others. And some people never get it. And once you do get it, well, you forget it again. It's not as if it isn't explained to us time and again. You hear it from this pulpit every Sunday. You hear about our sins and our misery. We're told about that in many ways and frequently. But we have such a hard time owning it and getting it and retaining it. Paul finally did. And so he cried out, wretched man that I am. He says, when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. And further, I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Oh, how Paul cried out to God because of his sinfulness. And it took Paul a long time to come to that point. And finally, God confronted him on the road to Damascus in the midst of his self-righteous attempt to impose his warped morality on others. Just like that lawyer did in the parable of the Samaritan. Paul was a driven man. He was convinced that he was better than others because of his ability to keep the law. But then his eyes were opened. God opened his eyes and gave him a glimpse of what he saw when he looked at Paul. And what did God see? How does God see you? How does he see me individually? Well, he sees a lot more than we do. He may be able to see, just like we do, the character and flaws of other people. At least we can see some of them. And all the other irritating and sinful things that other people do. But God sees so much more than that. He looks at me. He looks at you. And he sees what we don't see. He sees that we are not any different from anyone else. We may not have the exact same character flaws as our wife or our husband or our boss or our mother or whoever... But he sees what we don't see about ourselves. He sees everything that's wrong with us. And that's why the Lord Jesus warned us so clearly in the Sermon of the Mount. He said, do not judge or you too will be judged. And take out the plank in your own eye or the log in your own eye before you take out a speck out of your brother's eye. Look at yourself. See yourself for the miserable creature that you are. See yourself in the kinds of things that you do wrong. How you yourself are often an irritant to other people. Brothers and sisters, please listen to this sermon for yourself. Don't think that this is meant for somebody else. For your child, for your wife, for your husband, for whoever. This is meant for you and me personally. Don't hide behind the sins of others. I can't help but being angry because of so-and-so. Look at what he or she does. Don't pass this over with some vague general admission, such as, of course, I know my own faults. 
and then in this way try to be done with it. It's important for you and me to realize that there is some real fatal flaw in us. That there is something inside of you and me which gives the other person also the same feeling of despair as you have with regard to them. But why, you may ask, don't the other people tell me? Believe me, they've tried. And they have come up against a brick wall. Perhaps you never noticed that some people are forever nagging you, telling you the same thing over and over, or that they are too irritable around you, or that they are rude to you, or give you the silent treatment. Perhaps this has a lot to do with their attempt to make you see yourself for who you are, to make you realize how you come across, and they want to make you change. They're sending you a message. But we're not listening. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, God sees all of that. He is, this is the third point, he is such a wise God. He sees everything. He sees all the flaws. He sees all the imperfections. All the ways that we sin against him and against each other and we are so limited in our vision and we so easily judge others. For do you know what he sees and what we don't see? First of all, about other people. He sees all people in their brokenness. He understands much better why certain people act the way that they do. He knows that some people have been mistreated by others. Or are being mistreated. And how that makes them angry. And how that is also makes it difficult for those people to relate to others. He has the total picture. He sees also the brokenness of our bodies and our minds. Some people have difficulty functioning and relating to other people because of the way that they are wired. Perhaps there are some toxic chemicals in their blood. That happens, or because of a genetic condition, or because they were born with a certain disposition, giving them difficulty in controlling certain urges. None of this excuses us, of course. We have no excuse before God. It's all because of our sinful nature that these things are that way, but God created us good and in his image. We only have ourselves to blame. Nevertheless, he sees these things. And you know what's so wonderful? God is compassionate. He is full of mercy. He loves us. He loves you. In spite of it all. And then you may say, well, that's easy for him, isn't it? He doesn't have to deal with the kinds of things that I have to deal with every day. He doesn't have to deal with my mother who so often yells at me, with my boss who never appreciates anything I do, with my husband who only uses me. He doesn't have to live in my skin either when I'm weak and lonely and when I feel like ending it all because life is so difficult. Yeah. Think about the Lord Jesus. Think about the Lord Jesus. Think about what he has gone through. The Bible tells us that he is able to sympathize with our weaknesses 
because he has gone through the same kinds of things and then some. He has had to deal with some of the most miserable creatures you could ever meet. And he did. Perfectly. He was abandoned in a way which we would never be abandoned. He was punished in a way in which we would never be punished. And he bore it all. He lived among us as a perfect man. But that's not all. For you may think, well, that's something that happened in the past. Now he's in heaven. His task is done. Is that true? Brothers and sisters, the Bible teaches us that we are temples of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that God the Son sent us and the Father. And who lives in the temple? God the Holy Spirit lives in us. He lives within us in a much more intimate and close way than we live with others. And God doesn't walk away from us, does he? God's Holy Spirit lives within you and me. And he knows every vile thought that comes up in our hearts and minds. He knows about every time we have feelings of hatred and anger and resentment of greed and of arrogance and self-deceit. Day in, day out, we grieve this patient and loving spirit. Every moment of each day, our sinful nature goes up against this great loving and kind nature and spirit. He lives with that all the time. But that's not all that Jesus does. Don't think that the Lord Jesus is now in heaven doing nothing. He is actively interceding for us. He constantly puts our weaknesses and shortcomings and sins before the Father and asks him to forgive us and to renew us and in this way to prepare us for the last day. And so where is the joy this afternoon, brothers and sisters? Well, in case you didn't get it, the joy is that God continues to love you and bears with you and my weaknesses and shortcomings in spite of it all. And he does that day in, day out. That's why Paul also sounds so joyful in his letter to the Romans. After a statement about the wretched man that he is, we hear him rejoice and give thanks to God. He could make that great and joyful statement that because of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Isn't that great? Look at what we have done and what we do. Yet, he loves us. No condemnation. We believe in him. How different he now is compared to when he was converted. Paul, how different he was. The Lord gave him insight into his sinful nature. And now he expresses his great thankfulness for salvation. He has a different mind. That is why in speaking about his form and nature, he says, For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. Whereas the NIV has it, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. What does our sinful nature desire? 
when it comes to our neighbor, when it comes to those people that God has placed on our path, including those difficult people, it's our nature to condemn them, to point fingers, to stand in judgment over them, to concentrate on their faults, to have thoughts of hatred about them. And so I can go on and on. There's no end to what our sinful nature wants to do. And God says, through the mouth of Paul, stop it. Look at yourself. And brothers and sisters, that's what I want you to do today and tomorrow and in this coming week. See your own sin and misery. Not in order to be morbid, no. Not in order to get you down in the dumps. No, in order to get you on your knees before God and to thank him for the fact that he is willing to put up with you and me. To thank him for the fact that he loves you in spite of the kind of person that you are. And now to resolve also to see others the way God sees them. First of all, as flawed human beings who need his compassion and kindness and understanding and patience. That's how we are commanded to imitate God, to love God and our neighbor. For as the Catechism says, we are inclined by nature to hate God and our neighbor. The only way that you can stop such destructive thoughts is by thinking about the wonderful God that you have in spite of the miserable creature that you are yourself. And once you fully realize that, you cannot help but being full of joy. And then you cannot help but have your burdens of guilt lifted from your shoulders. And then you cannot help but also bear with the sins and shortcomings of your neighbor. Oh, sure, it's true. Some people's behaviors are so difficult and so perverse that it's very hard to deal with them. Some people are even psychopathic. Thankfully, there are not many of those around. But even in dealing with all kinds of people, you will be much more successful if you first see your own sins and misery. Then you will, able to, then you will be able to put things into a better perspective. For you know what it means, that God loves you unconditionally. What a wise and wonderful God we have. And so let us love God with all our heart and with all our mind and with all our soul and our neighbor as ourselves. All the law and the prophets hang on those two commandments. Love God, love your neighbor. That's hard. But because Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death, I can. And I will. Amen.